Welcome to the Sermon Podcast of Trinity Church in Carryville, Tennessee, right outside of Memphis. For more information about our church, please visit our website, trinity901.com. So we are approaching Valentine's Day, and I ran across an article this week, and the substance of the article was great gifts that husbands have given wives. And it was clearly a humor piece that this magazine wrote. And I want to just share with you a few of those gifts. I think you will appreciate them. The first was a gentleman who surprised his wife by giving her a pink riding lawnmower. And he said to her, Sweetheart, we can now cut grass together on the weekend. What a great way for us to bond. And as I'm reading that, I could only think of my wife's reaction to a pink riding lawnmower. The, the, the second gift was a very expensive and nice set of tools. Wait for it. With her name engraved on the toolbox. And the reason why he gave his wife this nice box of tools is because, unbeknownst to her, he bought a 1968 Ford Mustang and he wanted his wife to work with him on remodeling this classic car. Yeah, that didn't, as you could imagine, go over very well. And then my favorite in the entire article was the woman is describing waking up on their anniversary may have been Valentine's Day, I can't remember, and he has a pink fishing pole laying across the kitchen, kitchen table with a wonderful card. And she picked it up and she looked at him and she said, I don't fish. And he said, oh, but you will when you see the new bass boat I have out in the driveway for you. Now, that would have been really bad in my house uh, if I had done that. And as I came to the text this morning, as I looked at it this week, it seemed like most people, when I read commentaries and examined Mark chapter 12, that they focused on giving to Caesar what is Caesar's. How does the church navigate and deal with government, with elected officials, with the difficulties that arise from being the church in a constitutional republic and in other places around the world where it's not a democracy. What do you do as the church? And I kept thinking about something else. What do you give to God? Jesus says, render unto Caesar's what is Caesar's. But he also says, give to God what belongs to God. As I thought back on the times that I've heard these sermons preached, it's, it's never been about well, what belongs to God. And so I want us this morning to look at what, what do we give to God? What are the right and proper gifts that we give to Him? Let's pray. Father, this is Your Word and this is You speaking. Set me aside for my sins are great. May we only hear you this morning and the gospel of grace that is Jesus Christ, your Son, our Savior. Amen. So the passage is pretty clear in the gospel of Mark. 
the religious leaders, the Pharisees, they're trying to trap Jesus. This is something that we have seen throughout our time in this gospel. They want to put him on the spot. They want to get rid of Jesus. They are tired of him as a teacher. They are exhausted by his ministry. They don't like his following. Those that are followers of Jesus, those that have come into Jerusalem with him, they don't like his message. They think that he is blasphemous. He is sinned, they believe. And so they've come to trap him. And we see in this passage that Jesus navigates this skillfully. They bring him the coin and it has the emperor on it. And we scholars tell us that the coin also would have indicated that the people of Rome should have considered this emperor a god on earth. And so here they come and they're ready to trap him. And Jesus works his, works his way out of it masterfully. What belongs to Rome, give to Rome. What belongs to the kingdom of God, give to my Father in heaven. And so the Pharisees and the religious leaders were, who were seeking to ambush Jesus, they leave frustrated and they believe that they have not made any progress and we know that according to the Gospel of Mark that they're going to up the ante, if you will. They are zoning in their scope, their sights on Him. We are going to remove Him from ministry no matter what. And so as we think about the passage this morning, the question that I want to pose to us is, what can we give to God? Now I want to read to you from the New Living Translation. I like the way it phrases Jesus' words. Well then, Jesus said, give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar and give to God what belongs to God. Well, what belongs to God? What belongs to him? Now, if we were to glance ahead in the Gospel of Mark, you would see a very important verse in chapter 12, verse 30. And I want to use this as the grid by which we look at Jesus' words in 17. Here's the verse. You probably all know it. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. So what can we give to God? Well, here it is in Mark chapter 12, verse 30. We can give Him all of our heart. We can give Him all of our mind, all of our soul, and all of our strength. Four things. This is what we give. So the first thing I want us to discuss this morning is Giving to Jesus hearts overflowing with worship. Now, we're going to be looking at a lot of Scripture this morning. I'll read all of it, but if you want to turn in your Bibles and look at it as well, I would encourage you to do that. The first verse that we're going to look at in terms of hearts overflowing with worship, gifts that we give to Jesus, turn to Acts chapter 16, verse 25. Acts chapter 16, verse 25. Around midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening. Notice that. Paul and Silas were in prison. 
I promise you, Roman prisons were not pleasant places to be. It's not the Holiday Inn. This is not somewhere where you would want to find yourself at night. And there's Paul, and there's Silas, in chains, in prison. And what are they doing? They're praising God. They're worshiping Him. They're lifting up their hearts to them. I think, if, knowing myself, if I was in prison, I would be downcast I would be frustrated. I would be scared. I would want out of there. Why is this happening to me? Woe is me. Not Paul. Paul is praising God. He's glorifying God. His heart is spilling over with worship, even in the most difficult and most challenging of circumstances. Why? Why is Paul like this? Why is this happening? Well, if we read the book of Acts we understand the Damascus Road experience that Paul had. Here's someone who was opposing the church. Here is someone who was persecuting the church. Here is someone who thought he had his act all together. He had everything figured out. He was perfect in his Judaism. He was perfect in his obedience to the law. And then he meets Jesus. And he is blinded by the glory that is Jesus Christ. And when he is able to see again, Paul realizes that he has met God, that he has met his Savior, that he has stood in the presence of the one who takes his heart and cleanses it and washes it and makes it new and gives him life, not only in the presence, but forevermore. So when Paul is in those chains... He is praising God because he knows that the Romans cannot do anything to him. That if he dies in prison unjustly, that God will reward him in heaven. That the moment that he takes his last breath on this earth, God's glorious will for his life will be understood as he stands in the presence of his King. And so Paul is able to enter into that difficult spot because he has a Savior that has met him on the road. And it's the same thing for us. It should be the same thing for us. That we run to this place on the Lord's day to give our hearts to King Jesus because He has met us along the road and He has cleansed us from our sin He has brought us unto Himself and He has made the cross our home. That we had no hope apart from Jesus and He has met us, He has sought us out, He has saved us, He has redeemed us. We've had the same experience as Paul. So whatever this life may bring, And I feel hypocritical even saying this, but it's true according to the Word of God. Whatever this life brings, we worship God. Because His plan is perfect. His will is perfect. He knows what is best for us. And He has redeemed us in Christ. He has met us on the road like Paul. Whatever you may go through, whatever chains you may feel are wrapping around your wrist, whatever prison that you may think that you are in, you praise God, you worship Him because of who Jesus is, 
and what he has done for you. Augustine, the well-known church father from the third century, he says, you have made us, God, you have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our heart is restless until it rests in you. That is where we find our rest is in praising and worshiping God on the Lord's day and throughout the week. It is the medicine for our soul. And so what do we give Him? We give Him hearts full of worship. We give Him hearts full of worship. What else do we give Him? Minds captivated by the Word of God. Minds captivated by the Word of God. Remember, heart, soul, mind, strength. Romans 12, 2. Turn in your Bibles if you can, if you will, to Romans chapter 12, verse 2. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. In 1 Corinthians 2, 14 through 16. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him. And he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. Verse 15. The spiritual person judges all things, but is himself to be judged by no one. For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But, and notice this, But we have the mind of Christ. But we have the mind of Christ. So Romans is telling us to not be conformed to this world, this fallen, broken, sinful, sideways world. Don't be conformed to it. Don't let it influence you. Don't let it lead you. Don't let it guide you. Don't let it instruct you. Don't let it be the narrative that directs the path of your life. But be transformed by the renewal of your mind. And so then in Corinthians we see, and your mind is the mind of Christ. So we have union with Him. That through the Holy Spirit we are adopted into the family of God and Jesus is our older brother. He is our Savior. He is our Messiah. He is our, our King. And so we are to bring our minds in line with His because we are of one family. And so God has spoken to us through the Word. He has given us guidance to know how to live. To know how to be transformed. One of the fantastic things about God's Holy Word is that it's not just a book. I've told you this before. That our theology says that the Holy Spirit works within us to make the Word of God come to life and enable us to see it and understand it in a way in which the world doesn't. And if you observe the world, if you watch the world, if you spend any time on social media, you understand the world clearly doesn't understand the Word of God. The world has a different set of standards. So God has spoken to us, and this is a message of grace, and this is a message of love. 
This is a message about his sovereignty and his redemption in Jesus. And he says, bring your mind under the authority of my word because it is a light unto your path. My word brings healing. My word brings hope. My word brings wisdom. And so we, we give to God not only a heart that's full of worship, but a mind that has been inundated with His message. That we are submitting to our King because we are listening to what it is that He has to say. I tell my children all the time, it's a phrase that they can repeat. We even have a song about it. Listen and obey. For there is no other way. Now, I'm not drilling that home in them because I want their lives to be miserable. I am helping them understand that because I love them more than they can possibly ever understand. And that if they will just listen and obey, life will go better to, for them because I want what's best for them because I love them dearly. And that's your Father in heaven. Here's my word. Listen and obey. Transform your mind. Not because I'm rigid and angry and mad at you. Because I love you. You are my child. You are a part of my family. And my words will help you live this life well. So we give Him our heart. We give Him our mind. And then we give Him souls filled with prayer. There's a seminary professor, I believe he's retired, named Ralph Davis. He taught at Reformed Theological Seminary in Jackson for many, many years. I ran across this quote this week, and I know many, many friends, many pastors that I know studied under him. He is considered a great man of Christ with a loving heart. And when I saw this quote about prayer, it just resonated in my soul and I have to share it with you. Sometimes the Father may box us in. Place us in a situation in which one by one, all our secondary helps and supports are taken from us. In order that, defenseless, we may lean on His mercy alone. Prayer. Once we see this, we will no longer regard prayer as a pious cop-out, but as our only rational activity. Oh, what a good word. Prayer is a religious, pious cop-out. Lord, maybe you're there. Here's a few things I need. Will you hear me? But when the difficulties and stresses of life drive us to our knees and we have no other recourse, we come before the throne pleading with Jesus, hear me, I have nothing else. Hear me, I'm desperate. Prayer is a beautiful thing in that it's our lifeline to God. It's not a religious cop-out. It is a loving Father who rules over all creation that longs for nothing more than His children to come to Him. He wants to hear from you. It's part of being in a relationship with Him. 
My grandfather, I have a picture of him. And gosh, he was just the most loving, the nicest, I know this may shock and surprise all of you, quiet man. Related to you? Yes, yes. Very quiet. And I would go to him and just being in his presence just comforted me. And I always knew he wanted to hear from me. I always knew that there was never a time I could not drive to the other side of town, knock on his door and speak with him. And he would listen to me like there was no other person on the whole world, in the whole world. I would call him. And it was the same thing. And I see his picture from time to time and I just wish I could call him. You know? And then I forget that the God in heaven who has created me and placed His love upon me and who has redeemed me from sin and death and misery is wanting me to come before Him to listen to me like there's no one else in the universe. So let's give Him souls filled with prayer. Because when we interact with God through prayer, it strengthens our relationship. We know Him on a deeper level. Psalm 145.18 The Lord is near to all who call on Him, to all who call on Him in truth. Romans 12.12 Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, and hear this, faithful in prayer. We give Him hearts full of worship. We give Him minds captivated by His Word. We give Him souls filled with prayer. And finally, hands that serve Him. We give Him hands that serve the High King of Heaven. Deuteronomy chapter 13, verses 4. I'll read this for you. You shall walk after the Lord your God and fear Him and keep His commandments and obey His voice and you shall serve Him and hold fast to Him. This is Moses speaking to the people of Israel, telling them their responsibility to obey God, to walk before Him, and to serve Him. And so we read that and we think, well, that's for Israel and that was a long time ago. But we understand and we believe that the Word of God is for all of God's people for all time. And so that even as Moses is writing this to the nation of Israel, he's writing it to us. And he's saying, walk after your God. Fear Him. Obey Him. Listen to His voice. Hold fast to Him and serve Him and serve Him. The Scripture is calling us as God's people to glorify Him by serving Him. Why, why do we serve Him? Again, it goes back to that Damascus Road experience that Jesus has entered into our life and He has radically and fundamentally turned everything upside down. You belong to Me. I have redeemed you and forgiven you and saved you. I'm bringing you into the kingdom. 
I am going to deliver you from all the oppression and trouble and difficulties and stress that surrounds you and inflicts you and weighs you down and makes this life challenging. This is all that I have done for you because I am your older brother and because you are in the family and because I love you dearly. And so when we rightly understand who God is and what He has done for us, our immediate response should be, Oh God, how can I love you and serve you? How can I love you and serve you? Matthew 20, 28. Even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give His life as a ransom for many. As I think about my life and serving God, am I giving Him glory through my occupation? Am I serving my family well? Am I sacrificing for my wife? Am I serving my children? Am I serving my church? Am I giving for others in the name of Christ? What motivates this? What fills that tank so that you can do that? And we see in Matthew 20, 28 that it is the Son of Man who came to serve. He came for us. He left the beauty and the perfection of the throne room of heaven. The perfect fellowship and the perfect relationship that exists between the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Jesus leaves that on our behalf at the Father's request. And He comes and He enters into this fallen world. The High King of Heaven, the Creator of all things. There are not words to describe how amazing Jesus is and how above us He is. And He comes here. He comes here. And He comes for us. And he doesn't, he doesn't build a temple and request all people on earth to fall down and worship him. No. He lives a very lowly life, a very humble life, and he serves mankind. And he does that so one day we can worship him forever. And we know that according to the Word of God that when that day comes and we do worship Him forever that He deserves all the glory and we will be most at peace. It's a relationship that is perfect. Us in worship, Him being glorified. It goes together like this. And so here is Jesus, the humble servant who comes for us and He is the perfect model and so we learn from Him. We reflect on Him. We think about Him. And it should motivate our hands to serve. So I think when you look at Mark 30, chapter 12, verse 30, and it says heart, mind, soul, and strength. The imagery that comes to mind for me in terms of strength is hands. Hands that serve. Hands that serve because of the hands that were nailed to the cross. 
What do we give God this day? We give Him our hearts. We give Him our souls. We give Him our minds. And we give Him our hands. Take that to heart. Let's pray. Lord God, we are thankful for all that it is that You have done for us, Your people, Your children, Your family. God, by the work of the Holy Spirit within us, help us to give You hearts of worship, minds that are enamored with Your Word, souls filled with prayer, and hands that are willing to serve. May we do this for You because we understand rightly and fully what You have done for us. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.